Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 26th of February 2013. Newcomers, as always, I suggest you make good use of the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You'll see a bunch of sites listed there. They're all the official sites I have. And you can you can actually download from them all. If you find sticking on one, try another one and see how it goes. A lot of folks go into the com at the same time and sometimes you get sticking downloads. Also, all those sites listed there have transcripts for print-up in English. If you go into Alan Watts Sentient, sentinel.eu, you'll find transcripts in other languages. Remember, too, you bring me to you. I don't bring on guests as advertisers. I'm not into, this is not showbiz. And I don't uh, sell you products uh, outside the books and discs that I have on the website, which are mine. And I don't bring on advertisers as guests who who go through the speed of terrifying you, then offering you the solution of selling you something. I have no shares either in any other products sold and so on. So it's up to you, the listeners, to keep me going. And as I say, this is amazing too that this uh, particular broadcast is listened to around the world. Uh, and it's incredible how many people actually use it. And I say it's free, but most folks just take it for granted and they think, well, it'll always be there when you switch on. It's like a light switch on, it's always there. And they don't understand how you even get by because they don't think about it at all. So remember, too, those who want to keep it going can help me keep going, too, by buying the books and the discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And, and to do so from the U.S., to remember, you can actually use a personal check to Canada from the U.S. still. Saints from the country can still do that, too. And you can also use an international postal money order from the post office from the U.S. to Canada. You can uh, send cash or use PayPal. And across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. And straight donations are awfully, awfully, awfully welcome in these times of deepening austerity, as they like to call it, this planned austerity, this post-consumerist society we're supposed to go into now. And it's only when you read the big... Um, Articles and books put out by the big boys themselves at the think tanks you understand that everything follows in sequence to make things happen, obviously. Like the bank crash happened when it, they had to make it happen. That the banks lost nothing, as we all know. In fact, they, 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 they furthered their agenda by getting more power over the governments and uh, of, of the whole world, in fact, through it all. And every country's bailing out every other country now. It's a fantastic bank scam because the countries borrow from international private lenders in order to get these loans to bail out other countries. It's wonderful. But you put, are put down as the, the guarantors. So it's a fantastic scheme. But how else are they going to get you into austerity, the planned austerity, remember, that they talked about back in the 1970s? So you're in the century of change. This is for the, the, the time of austerity. And it's also post-consumer society, post-industrial society. In the West, it's pretty well post-technological society because it's mainly done in China and the Far East now, all the technology. So you have to be trained, trained as we go under to behave. And they need uh, an authoritarian society to make that happen under the guise of 9-11, anti-terrorism and, and uh, terrorists under the bed sort of stuff. 
then they're using all of that to make it all happen and, and to get you all to obey and go along with it all and getting used to having less and less and less. Remember, the whole idea is to, to increase the cost of basic living until there's no free spending cash in your pocket at the end of the month. It all goes on fees, essentials, food, fuel, and energy and so on. Because they've got more taxes to hit you with now because you've got carbon taxes coming down your way soon too, and energy taxes. They've even talked about uh, mandatory inspections of everyone's home. This is worldwide, remember. Agenda 21 came from the United Nations. All the countries signed on to it. And they'll do thermal testing and then massive fines if you're letting heat get out from somewhere or another. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back. We're cutting through the matrix and talking about the big system you're born into and how it really works. And few people know they're living through agendas. Uh, the United Nations, uh, and when they signed all, the, their, all their names onto it, I saw your leaders sign their names onto it in 1946. They were signing away your countries, really, basically, and sovereignty too, because they, they came to the conclusion, and this was the, the, really what the war was about, was to was to end nation states altogether. And uh, under the guise of, of doing that, they would flood countries with multiculturalism, which really wouldn't keep cultures for, for a while. It would, but they'd all fight each other and eventually come into some new mush that hasn't been invented yet. This is the this is basically the theory of it all. And then there'd be no more world wars. And again, it was a ruse as well to get all that to happen, uh, and many much more to happen too. As I say, if you go through the, the masses of literature from the United Nations. It's, it's all in your face where they want to take you. And they know, too, that during all this kind of thing, you'll also get massive um, problems in schools and ethnic communities. Britain's had their shares of it over years as they bring in lots of people from really opposing cultures. And that's intention, too, not similar cultures. The Europeans were to be kept out, really, of immigrating to each other's countries and even to the old British Empire countries as well. But um, you find this sort of article is getting pretty common now, even in the, the States. Now it says, school officials in the Minneapolis have beefed up police protection and expect weeks of investigation. In the wake of an all-out brawl between students at South High School in the Minnesota metropolis on February 14th. And it says that Rachel Hicks, speaking for the school district, said additional school resource officers who are trained to interact with students are now on duty. And, and it was a, a racial thing and an ethnic thing at the same time, apparently. And it said that in the Minneapolis Star Tribune reported it was a racially tinged melee between 200 and 300 students shelf-kicked and threw bottles at one another. At least three students and school staff members were taken to by Amnesty Hospital for medical treatment. In the case of students, the school said that the fight broke out after tensions between Somali Americans and other students flared up. It says that Somalis are largely Muslim clashing with students of various other ethnic and religious backgrounds, including American Indians and black Americans. A student was quoted by local media as saying the riot was a racial issue and it was the most significant of this year. Now, this is the sort of thing that gets more more common as, as this big agenda is moved into place, and we have to live through it. 
But unfortunately, it can go any way it wants. These kind of uh, conflicts, it depends on how the big boys at the top handle all the propaganda and and how they manage this kind of story. But you find out how far it gets eventually in in places like Britain. And and Britain, remember, was to be completely destroyed, according to Tony Blair's right-hand man. And I read the articles uh, from the mainstream where they basically said they were bringing all the, the, the multiculturalism to destroy what was left of British culture forever so it couldn't rise again. And there's been massive campaigns through Hollywood and so on about really the target group, the target group. And here's a victim of the target group. It says, boy nine in England, this is found hanged. He was nine years old. For, it was, he was being bullied for being white. This is Aaron Dugmore, nine found hanged at Birmingham home by his mother, believed to be Britain's second youngest suicide caused by bullying. The schoolboy was rushed to hospital and died of suspected cardiac arrest. The family claims Aaron was being tormented by bullies at his new school, and the police are investigating the circumstances surrounding Aaron's death. And it says, um, this Aaron was threatened with a, with a plastic knife by one Asian pupil who warned him next time it will be a real one. He was also allegedly told by another pupil that all the white people should be dead and he was forced to hide from the bullies in the playground at lunchtime. Aaron's mother, Kelly Marie Dugmore, 13 stepfather Paul Jones, said that despite complaints to the school, nothing was done to stop the bullying. And it says, Aaron had recently started in year five at, at the Erdington, Erdington Hall Library School in Birmingham, a school where 75% of pupils come from ethnic minority backgrounds. So that's fairly typical now, and expect more and more of this to come down the roads. And this was all intentional. Uh, the big boys who planned all this knew it would come to this phase. And remember, they've had riots before in Britain too. Uh, and places in even the cities were burned down over the riots back in the 70s, late 70s. So that's everything's going the way it's supposed to go. And out of it all comes more and more bureaucracies, more government control, more indoctrination into the teachers who indoctrinate the students and so on. And that's just the way it's, it's planned to go. Also in Britain too, uh, it's, it's quite interesting, it's, it's a non-event really, this, this little article, but at the same time too it shows you how people think, people think that there's a justice in the world if they get a chance to go into court. And remember John Hill, the guy who was charged uh, for putting out the ripple effects video, questioning the whole series of bombings in, in England, in London. And then they put him up for treason initially, tried to try him for that and put him away forever. But he, he did think he would get his day in court where he could say that the whole story was full of holes, which it was. And he did inspire many other people to look into the two to find out that these bombers were supposedly on a train in the morning that wasn't even running that day. They knew that in the court too. They were on, yes, they were on that train, but it wasn't running. I mean, there's your double speak for you right there, you know. But anyway, he thought he'd have his day in court, but of course they didn't give you a chance to say anything at all. This one here is about the BBC, and it says, um, historic court hearings, BBC in the dock, in the dock for manipulating evidence. Uh, and providing biased coverage of the September 11th, 2001 attacks. And it says, what at stake is the BBC's coverage of the attacks? On February 25th, in the small town of Horsham, in the UK, there'll be a rare and potentially groundbreaking opportunity for the 9-11 Truth Movement. Three hours of detailed 9-11 evidence is to be presented and considered in a court of law where the British Broadcasting Corporation will be challenged over the inaccurate and biased manner in which they portrayed the events and evidence of 9-11. Since over the last 16 months, the BBC has been challenged strongly by individuals in the UK 
over two documentaries that they showed in September 2011 as part of the 10th anniversary of 9-11, namely 9-11 Conspiracy Road Trip and the Conspiracy Files, 9-11 10 years on. Formal complaints were lodged with the BBC over the inaccuracy and bias of these documentaries, which, according to 9-11 activists, was in breach of the operating requirements of BBC through their royal charter in agreement with the British public. Well, the British public never signed it, mind you, but technically they do when they pay up their fees every year, the licence to watch the damn trash that they put out there. It says, the document requires BBC to show information that's both accurate and impartial. These complaints were supported by the US-based educational charity Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, which submitted details, scientific evidence to the BBC to buttress the complaints. The evidence focuses in particular on the confirmed free fall of the World Trade Center number 7 tower. Number 7 tower came down later. And this video is up there where you actually talk, they talk about we'll have a, a controlled demolition. And this is in the NIST's 2008 admission of this fact. In addition, over 300 uh, 9-11 Truth petitioners, signers, supported these complaints by sending letters to the BBC requesting that they show this evidence to the public. Not a single mainstream media has acknowledged the, the court case. And it's highly unlikely that, uh, that the proceeding will be the object of unbiased coverage. And... Um, I've got two articles on this, but it does mention that one guy's getting taken to court. He's going to court because he's not going to pay his license until otherwise actually quoted the, the Terrorism Act. He said he's, he would be supporting the Terrorism Act if he gave money to the BBC. When it's, 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 it's giving you all this false evidence. And that's, his, that's where, he, where he's standing. But whether they go with it, I don't know, because uh, you never get to say what's right and what's wrong. In fact, I think the judge already said... Uh, basically, the facts don't matter. How many times have you heard that the facts don't matter? The facts are, are you going to pay your license or not? And are you still watching the BBC? And he'll get fined for that. And the judge won't ask what his complaint is all about. So you don't get your day in court. The justice system has nothing to do with right and wrong. And I hope you understand that. never has been. It's all technical points and legalities, and points of legalities, and stuff like that. And it's not an inquiry where you can say what you want. It's a court case, so the poor guy will get fines. It'd be good luck to him for at least standing up and doing something. Now, also, I'll put it tonight too, uh, this is the granting of the Best Picture Oscar to the Iranophobic movie Argo has long been foreseeable as a Machiavellian manoeuvring of Hollywood propaganda and that it harbours a much more elaborate imperialistic scheme, political analysts say. And it says, I put my money on this film to win the Best Picture Oscar, even though there's nothing remotely best about it, especially if Obama can pull off winning the presidential election, wrote cultural critic Noam Nicolini in an article published at Counterpunch website October 2012. Argo, above all else, is a piece of conservative liberal propaganda created by Hollywood to support the Obama administration's conservative liberal policies. Actually, it's neocons. You know, as we move towards a presidential election, she said before Obama was re-elected for the second term. It also primes the war wheels for an American-supported Israeli attack on Iran so that the leftists can feel okay about the war when they cast their vote for Obama in 2012, the critic pointed out. Then at the 85th edition of the Academy Awards at the Dolby Theatre, Hollywood, California, on Sunday, Michelle Obama, the U.S. First Lady, announced Argo as a winner of the Best Picture Oscar live from the White House. The thriller, directed by U.S. filmmaker Ben Affleck, is loosely based, <laughs> loosely based indeed, 
on the alleged historical account by former CIA Tony Mendes about the rescue of six American diplomats during the takeover of the U.S. Embassy in Tehran after Iran's 1979 Islamic Revolution. The revolutionary Iranian uh, university students who took over the U.S. Embassy believed that the embassy had turned into a den of espionage which aimed to overthrow the nascent Islamic Republic establishment. Argo only tells the rescue operation of the six Americans from the Canadian embassy in Iran, with no mentioning of the 53 Americans who spent 444 days in the U.S. embassy. Nicolini lashed out at Argo for completely neglecting to provide the Iranian side of the story, noting the film is a sanitized version of the events. She argued that there's nothing authentic about the film's manipulation of historical events and described the movie as pure political propaganda. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about the movie Argo, and it says the former Canadian ambassador to Iran, Ken Taylor, was heavily criticised criticized the movie, saying the amusing side is a script writer, Chris Terrio, and Hollywood had no idea what he's talking about. He said Argo downplays the actual extent of the Canadian involvement, which was considerable, and he criticised it for incorporating a myriad of creative liberties, including the black and white portrayal of Iranian people in fabricated scenes, adding that Argo characterises people in a way that isn't quite right. The former Canadian envoy argued that Argo didn't portray a more conventional side and a more hospitable side of the Iranian society as well, as an intent that they were looking for some degree of justice. Political analysts see Argo and Mass elaborate U.S. scheme to employ every medium in its propaganda apparatus to incite Iranophobia across the globe. And Argo is an errant instance of Hollywoodism. In point of fact, it's yet another attempt to foment Iranophobia, not only in the U.S., but across the world as well, said the Iranian academic Dr. Ismail Salami in an article on Press TV, he says. Since in recent years, Islam has become to encompass a wider scope of media, including cinema, which is incontestably capable of exercising a more powerful effect on manipulating the audience, he said. And it's so true when you see things with emotion in it and so on, they can make you believe anything. The analyst also lashed out at Argo's director for portraying a stereotyped and caricatured view of the Iranian society and noted that Affleck has consciously sought to ridicule the very customs and traditions of Iran. Well, there's nothing new, as I say, in what Hollywood puts out to do with any of the countries across there. As we know, it's part of the inter-industrial complex. Also, too, they want to put aspartame in milk without a label. I'll put that link up tonight, too. And it says big dairy, that's the big corporate farms now that, that run the, the world, uh, that are, are pushing the FDA for approvals, which they'll get, in other words, too. I have no doubt about it. This is the two powerful dairy organizations, International Dairy Food Association and the National Milk Producers Federation, are petitioning the Food and Drug Administration to allow aspartame and other artificial sweeteners to be added to milk and other dairy products without a label. So uh, everything's going down the tube, isn't it? Or is it? It's going the way it's supposed to go, I suppose. Also, on tonight, too, I'll put up a petition to be presented to the Canadian House of Commons regarding high-altitude aerial spraying, which is, of course, chemtrails, as you call them. I'll put this up tonight, this link, for those who want to sign it and uh, and see what they, they say, uh, what comes out of it. Because it's supposed to answer these things if there's so many thousands of signatures on it. 
But we'll see, because it's under the official secret site, so I don't think they'll come out and say anything at all. And as this collapsing consensus, another German meteorology study site wonders about the global temperature stagnation. Last week, German meteorologist Dominic Young openly wondered what was happening to all the warming, pointing out that Germany was suffering from its fifth consecutive colder than normal winter, which is a record. By the way, it's also it's another one on top tonight too. And the U.S. broke over 500 records this winter alone and across the whole of the U.S. in different places for low temperatures. But it says, um, last month, last month, German meteorologist Dr. Carlson Brandt, uh, again, uh, uh, said global warming, uh, he dismissed the whole catastrophic uh, events that are keep pushing as nonsense. And just days ago, in another German meteorology site questioned global warming in a piece titled Global Warming Stagnates, uh, guessing the causes. It says, since 1998, the global mean temperature has not risen significantly, while the global temperature rose about 0.5 degrees centigrade from the 1970s till the end of the 1990s. It stagnated for the last 15 years, though at a high level, he says, the stagnation surprised a lot of experts who are now searching for possible causes for this development. Well, how about the aerospring? I mean, see, they're controlling the whole weather now. It's controlled. It has been. It's interesting, 1998 is when they really started it in earnest on a daily basis, just spraying the, the skies above you. And also the climate challenge and the failure of democracy. Interesting, as a book has come out. Now, this I, I can't connect these guys to the Club of Rome, but what they're pushing here is all the stuff that came out of the Club of Rome. Remember, the, global, the Club of Rome were given the task by the United Nations uh, of coming up with something to pull the world together, we'd all unite in the world together and go into an authoritarian-type society to save ourselves. And they were the guys who said that uh, eventually they picked on global warming, famine, drought, hunger, and so on. That would fit the bill. And that's their own words for it, too. That would fit the bill. So these guys are very, very similar. They must be connected with it in some ways. It's a climate change challenge and the failure of democracy. Now, the Club of Rome also said democracy wouldn't work. And to get the big agendas through, uh, it was too cumbersome, too many conflicting parties all fighting each other. And they have to go into an authoritarian society. So here you have it again with a book come out, Climate Change Challenge and the Failure of Democracy by David Shearman and Joseph Wayne Smith. And it says here, in the latest volume of the Politics and Environment series, Professor Emeritus of Medicine David Shearman and philosopher and ecologist Joseph Wayne Smith show a complete willingness to challenge organizational identities. They firstly argued that our system of overall political, economic and social governance is an obstacle to confronting effectively the looming environmental crisis that global climate change poses. Schumann Smith challenged us to re-examine how states, corporations and consumers are driving us literally to the brink of disaster and engaging considerations of the limits to growth. Now, the limits to growth is also uh, a book uh, they put out too by the Club of Rome. So I'm sure they've got something to do with or actually they're members of the Club of Rome. Limits to growth. It says the separation of corporatism and governance, financial reform, legal reform, and the reclaiming of the commons for human society. The answers to consider was often considered unthinkable in our cosmopolitan ideology. In other words, democracy. We consider what democracy is, and do we need it? Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix talking about a book that's out called The Climate Change Challenge and the Failure of Democracy. I'm certain it's Club of Rome because they're using all the terminology that, that they normally spout. But it says, in short, Sherman and Smith argue that liberal democracy considered sacrosanct in modern societies is an impediment to finding ecologically sustainable solutions for the planet. Many, of course, will find this argument untenable, but I would urge readers to listen closely to Shearman Smith's entertaining and always thoughtful arguments, as they spin your mind, of course. In an area of ever-widening, ever-deepening globalization, liberal democracies have proven unable or unwilling to check the explosive growth of corporatism's power, influence, and reach. In terms that mirror Marx's thoughts on the aggregation of capital into the hands of the fewer and fewer, Shearman and Smith are nonetheless not neo-Marxists. Well, they're not. They're Trotskyists. <laughs> this is a little con at the pool. They're Trotskyists. In some ways, their notions that liberal democracy must give way to a form of authoritarian government by experts, that's exactly what's always been the agenda, reminds us as well of Plato's Republic that I've mentioned so often as well. So y- y- you know where it's coming from. And this article was put up by the Pell Center for International Relations and Public. Policy sounds very official again, private organization, as all are. But this is where they're going with everything to terrify the public under anything excuse. Uh, uh, you know, save, save us all, save the planets. And aliens aren't good enough anymore. We've seen too many science fictions that had the opposite effect until we laugh at them. So, so now they're using global warming and all that kind of stuff, even though we're freezing our butts off. And it says he rich get richer with the IRS loophole in sunny Bermuda. And billionaire hedge fund moguls are getting comfortable with the U.S. tax loophole to fatten their already plump bottom lines. All it takes to avoid tens of millions of dollars in taxes is a short trip to Bermuda, not by them, but by their cash. Since hedges like John Paulson and Steve Cohen are forming reinsurance companies in tax-free havens like Bermuda or the Cayman Islands, and then transferring cash from their funds to the reinsurance companies. The cash, class, the cash classified as insurance company reserves is then transferred back into the funds as reserves to be invested for future claims. Thanks to an IRS loophole, profits from these insurance companies are not taxed until the stake in the fund is sold, and that could be years down the line. And it says that, um, and here's the kicker, the taxes when paid are at the lower capital gains rate and not as ordinary income. And it tells you how Bermuda's reinsurance cash can pay off $100 million of regular cash invested in a fund returning 15% annually, and tax at the top rate will result in a $50 million profit after taxes. But the Bermuda cash will produce a profit of $77 million. Paulson, for example, shipped $450 million last year into a Bermuda company called Packer Limited, which is own brass plate reinsurance company, according to Bloomberg, which reported on the growing trend yesterday. Packer Limited is basically an office mail drop without employees. It's all legal, folks. These folk at the, the top run the legal system, too. Packer Limited is basically an office made uh, mail drop to employees. Within months, the cash was recycled out of Bermuda and back into Paulson's hedge funds in New York tax-free to make him even richer without any tax bills for years into the future. These types of reinsurance companies are permitting U.S. taxpayers to defer, and definitely U.S. tax lawyer David S. Miller, a tax expert, Cole Walder and Wickersham and Taft told Bloomberg. He branded the move as an unjustified benefit. Washington has been promising for a decade to shut the loophole, this particular one, but it hasn't got round to it. There's too many things on the go. <laughs> more and more hedge fund billionaires are relying on tax haven reinsurance mail drops to legally avoid taxes, including third points Daniel Loeb, 
and Greenlight Capital Inc.'s David Einhorn, it was reported. The companies set up by Paulson, Cohen and Loeb are located within a half mile of each other in the narrow streets ringing Bermuda Capital, Hamilton, according to Bloomberg. Loeb's third point reinsurance holds about $785 million in funds, including $75 million of Loeb's own money, the report said. Cohen's offshore reinsurer, SAC Re, uh, holds about $500 million, including $125 million of Cohen's cash. Bermuda's quaint pastel buildings and a small commercial strip along the Hamilton's Harbour are fixed with scores of brass plates of reinsurance companies from around the world. And generations of investors have used reinsurance as an investment and tax avoidance tool, but a decade ago the IRS vowed to clamp down on its abuses with little today to show and no prosecutions. So they haven't changed anything at all. Bloomberg said at least three new reinsurance, reinsurers backed by U.S. hedge funds managers have put a combined $1.7 billion back into the managers' hands in the U.S. So it's one set for the rich and the ones who pay it all are the guys of the, the general population, of course, for everything. Also, too, everybody knows about the, the still remember, of course, because we've got short memories now, is the, the Savile scandal in Britain with these years and years of paedophilia. And all the, the carry-on at the BBC where he worked, they all knew about it and so on. And lots of the other ones were involved in it too. But it says so much for BBC transparency. 90 pages of BBC's Savile report, which was supposed to report on by the BBC, were blacked out. It says DG goes to ground and no one is blamed for the fiasco. So 3,000 pages of emails, interviews and submissions released online at 11 a.m. And it says here that the BBC faced ridicule last night for publishing an open dossier into the Jimmy Savile scandal that was covered in Censors, Inc. The corporation has repeatedly promised to be open and transparent about the material, which formed the basis of last year's Pollard inquiry into the Savile crisis. But there were accusations of a cover-up after large swathes of staff testimonies about the saga were blacked out. Despite the redactions, which covered around 90 pages, stinging criticism remained, including Jeremy Paxman's fury at the contemptible way the BBC handled the affair. He said it was pathetic. Newsnight had not tackled the Savile issue sooner. And he said it was common gossip of the corporation that the DJ liked young girls, and occasionally boys too. But Baxman, strongest criticisms of his bosses, including then-director of news Helen Bowden, appear to be amongst hundreds of lines of evidence censored by the BBC. And that was another pal. I think, I think Helen Bowden was a great pal. I've got some photographs of her with him. Last night, the BBC's claims to be accountable uh, descended into Farris's acting director, General D- Tim Davey, refused to be interviewed by anyone except his own journalists. <laughs> Uh, Channel, Channel 4 News editor Ben DePierre said the only time he had come across a comparable situation was when he tried to interview despots such as Robert Mugabe of Zimbabwe or President Mahmoud Abimajad of Iran and President Charles Taylor of Liberia. She also added to it the directors of the, the movie Argo. Paxman himself is among several journalists who are said to be furious about the censorship of their testimonies. Bill, nothing happens about being furious and all that kind of stuff. It's just another, it's all getting whitewashed. They have to whitewash it. There's too many important people involved in the same pedophilia rings as Savile. In fact, MI5 have lots of dossiers where they were using them for blackmail purposes if they ever needed them on <laughs> some of the guys. Also, too, this article is about Blackwater, because now you live in this private, uh, public-private partnership deals now, and even the privatized militaries and all that kind of stuff. It says, um, 
contractors of the U.S. private security firm Blackwater secured the site of a roadside bomb attack and so on. All the PR photographs are at the beginning of this particular article. It says, European states are subcontracting an increasing number of tasks to private military companies to cut their army sizes and budgets, which is nonsense because they're more expensive than the regular army. These mainly U.S. firms cost them dearly, however, says the military expert Alexander Vutravers. Since the 1990s, the U.S. armed forces, and particularly also the armies of Europe, have been using private military firms to handle tasks they can no longer fulfill. This is Alexander Vutravers, head of the Department of International Relations at Webster University in Geneva, and chief editor of Revenue Military Suisse, explains why, of Review Military Suisse. So he says, private military companies primarily work in niche markets, in activities which conventional armed forces cannot or do not want to carry out. Armies with annual budgets are not necessarily profitable, according to defense representatives. They prefer to entrust a whole number of maintenance and logistic tasks to those companies. During the war in Iraq, for example, the U.S. Army signed extremely lucrative contracts for laundry, hygiene, and cleaning. <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw the movie on, that they put out on Halliburton, where they used treasure. Actually, they printed up millions and millions of dollars. You see it getting flown in, taking off the plane over in Iraq, and handed to the Halliburton Corporation. They started buying brand-new stretch limos and all the rest of it, just like crazy, you wouldn't believe it. Plus, the, uh, the filter, filtration systems for the troops weren't even working properly. All the troops were getting poisoned and contaminated with, with contaminated water. What an incredible farce that was. All that money just disappeared. Anyway, says these companies also win a lot of contracts to protect people in buildings, an area where the, the government of, of uh, are trained and heavily equipped professional military staff is not all was justified. And finally, they fill the gaps by providing qualified personnel, such as helicopter pilots and so on. And says, but the, the pilots don't often stay for a long time because the salaries are much more lucrative in private industry. So they go into private industry. So it's just mercenary work. And this whole article is about it. It's not cheaper, though. It's more expensive. And also Moody's strips Britain of a top-notch rating. You see how the whole con of money works and the guys all, who, who run it all? I mean, it's not bad enough they already have you in massive debt in every country because somehow along the line all these democracies supposedly started borrowing money from private bankers rather than printing their own and creating their own cash. And, uh, and, and number one, too, no one has ever asked, why does a country have to borrow money from outside anything anyway? Look at the cash, the cash they already rake in. They see, the whole banking system's a fraud. A very intelligent fraud. Been running for years. And anybody who tries to stop us, well, they won't last long at all. They'll be dead before you know it. There's no way about it. There's no way. If you want to get gangsterism, go into the cash system. And who runs the world? So they get Britain and all other countries to, to, to start bailing out other countries by borrowing money to give to these other countries to bail them out. This the circle that they put them into. So every country's borrowing money and getting deeper into debt to bail out other countries that are already in debt. And so now they all end up in debt. Isn't that fantastic? And then the guys who lend you money get their get their these these guys like Moody's to rate you for debt rating and then they downgrade you, which means you, you pay a higher interest on your future borrowing. It's beautiful. What a scam, eh? What a beautiful scam. Oh, I mean, oh, it really is, isn't it? It's, it's like keeping getting up and you get slapped in the face until you're down again. And you get up again and you get slapped, slapped, slapped. 
And we're supposed to believe this is a, an honest system we're living in. <laughs> what a joke. What a joke. All the big boys, including these rating companies, work together, folks. They all know each other. Awfully well. All of them are in their mind with each other. So put this up tonight too at cuttingthroughmatrix.com. And this article too, again is black water. It says, Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, it says that the federal prosecution of five former employees of the private security firm Blackwater has crumbled after the defendants said they were acting at the behest of, guess who, the CIA. By providing five guns as gifts to King Abdullah II of Jordan. This is what it was about. This is federal prosecutors indicate former Blackwater President Gary Jackson and four others in 2010, a long list of felony firearms violations involving dozens of weapons, including 17 M4 military assault rifles and 17 Romanian-made AK-47s. All charges against three of the Qs were dismissed uh, Thursday at the request of prosecutors after a federal judge ruled earlier this month to reduce several of the felony charges to misdemeanors. Can you imagine getting off with a misdemeanor for that? In your own country? Never mind abroad. Under a plea agreement, Jackson and former company vice president William Matthews admitted guilt Thursday on misdemeanor charges related to record-keeping violations, resulting in $5,000 fines and four months house arrest. They originally faced decades of prison on 12 felony charges each. That's what happens. Strings are pulled and that's what you get. You know, that's how it really works, isn't it? And British members of parliament, because they really are, you understand the psychopathic personality that goes into politics in the first place. And they are sussed out by psychopaths. When you get your resume started to get into politics, you have to go into local government. Before you get into local government, you go into charity work, where you join certain charities to get your face in there. And there's always some, some elderly fellow there sitting there that does a lot of golfing. This is how it works, I'm not kidding you. And he's a guy who will eventually pick uh, people, the right people, to get bumped up the ladder. He's got the word into local councils, then from local councils into your local political party, etc. That's how you get into it. And they all come in with their briefcases and stuff, and they all work generally in other jobs. They come in their briefcases and they have their one-hour session once a week or something, and eat, you know, lots of cakes and have coffee, and say very little about the charity they're involved in. The whole point is you're being sussed out by the fat guy at the end of the table who does a lot of golfing, you see? Because he's looking for this. Psychopaths recognize each other, you understand? They, 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 they Immediately. And that's the kind they want into politics. That's why they're always involved in scandals and, and all the rest of it. They don't follow the, the norms or the cultural norms of society and their, and their sexual things or anything like that either. This is members of parliament in Britain and computers are used to access porn sites including foot uh, fat fetishism and more than two and a half thousand times supposedly in one site. And so they're, they're being used to view hardcore pornography featuring sadomasochism and the foot and fat fetishism. The X-rated websites have been accessed more than two and a half thousand times in computers used by the members of parliament, peers and their staff. Uh, gay cruising websites have also been visited a further 3,500 times, along with obscure erotica sites, including one showing naked women posing with cats. As for an explanation, the parliamentary spokesman claimed the sites may have been visited accidentally. <laughs> this is your government. And, and that's our PR spokesman. This is your government, folks. And, and they lie about this, they lie about everything, you see. Accidentally. 
It says the Daily Mail on Sunday obtained that information through a Freedom of Information inquiry. It covers a 14-month period between May 2011 and July 2012. The visits are a breach of parliamentary IT rules which bar online pornography, nudity and adult mature content. It follows a revelation in newspapers earlier this month that parliamentary computers were used to click thousands of times on a website that encourages adulterous affairs. And this, you, you couldn't make this stuff up. Harry Potter, right? A barrister, a lawyer. Harry Potter, specializing in obscenity cases, says, having viewed the material, it does not, in my opinion, fall foul of the law as constitutes extreme pornography. Well, what's, what's his opinion? What, what would he call extreme pornography, Mr. Harry Potter? Hmm? It is, however, undoubtedly hardcore pornography, the variety of the foot fetish websites, which includes pornographic images of lurid sex acts involving feet. What, what can you do with your option to ask that question? Have been viewed 470 times. On our website featuring an array of pictures of naked women lying next to cats, viewed 17 times. A Polish pornography website was accessed 292 times on May 2011. It's probably what the same guy, I bet you. In the same month, a dating website was clicked on 653 times. The website boasts is dedicated to connecting fun-loving singles across the UK. So anyway, that's your government for you, and there's nothing new in that at all. At all, at all. Now, the Bank of England Deputy Governor Paul Tucker has said that negative interest rates should be considered. As well, say, oh yeah, we know all about that, right? Well, I'll go into negative interest rates when I come back from this break. Folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and talking about negative interest rates. Now, what it is basically is, is giving you less interest on any savings you put in, so it's going to affect the savers. And this guy actually says it. He says, he says um, any discussion of negative rates would have to be taken into account uh, the likely detrimental impact on savers who've already seen the income from their savings fall since the financial crisis. What they want to get down to is to give you no interest on any savings at all. Which is, again, this is a great boon at the bank as well. They can, because they invest that cash as soon as you put it in there, and they get, oh, 20, 30, 40, depends on their Moody's ratings, you see, uh, they get back from their loans. They make a killing on it. So here they go with another killing of dropping, uh, the interest given back to, to people who are saving. So that's what really it's about. This is what they want to do. You see, get more profit for themselves. To save us all, you understand. It's always the same thing to save us, isn't it? And in China, too, they're back to trafficking kidneys from, from the poor folk in China. A, a place is raking in trillions every week, for God's sake, you know, all the sales across the planet. And, uh, and the folk at the bottom are just the same as ever. Actually, it's a perfect form of feudalism, isn't it, really? Um, it's still a communist, called, well, call, it, call it a communist government, just a, a bunch of guys at the top, interrelated families, that run the whole country in a feudal system with uh, perfect slaves at the bottom. So the folk at the bottom were just as poor as ever, so they're selling off their body parts while they're still alive. Quite sad, isn't it? As I say, too, um, it says in this article, over 650 snow records set in the USA this week. Another wonky surface station is located. I'll put this up tonight as well for anybody that cares about the ongoing nonsense about global warming. And Mr. Holland of uh, France, you know, the, the Prime Minister, uh, he's, he's been given the peace prize after he set the bombers loose, of course. 
in Mali. I'll put that one up too. That's, that's what you need to do to get to a peace prize, is to go and kill folk. Uh, they'll get it. They'll get their chance at it. Depends how many folk you kill, or actually who you kill as well. It depends if it's the favourite folk that you're killing. You see. And this one too. This is very interesting. It's a former senior Scottish Scotland Yard officer. That's the British uh, top cops here. Has warned that corruption uh, may fa- fail to be exposed under the new plans to regulate the police and the media. See, all the media now is to be regulated, just like Australia did it too, and in, and in Britain they got Leveson. Uh, Lord Justice Leveson to put his bunch of stuff through so as to stop supposedly to stop whistleblowers from speaking to the press and harm the public interest today Mr Hurley said how did the press find out about the members of Parliament's expense scandal how did we find out about patients, uh, patient care deals and others between the HMRC and major corporate failures the media find, uh, find out about them very often because people come forward and tell them about it he, but he's saying that this, with these new laws are coming out, he says, my concern is we're creating a culture across the whole public sector where people will be afraid to talk to the media about what's going on. Well, of course, that's the intention of it. You're not living in any democracy. You, you, you're living under the facade of it, but even that's to be trained out of you eventually until everybody gets the message without actually being told explicitly. A lot of folk already accept it, actually. If you ask most youngsters about things, they just give you a, a blank stare, you know. They don't, they don't care about privacy or anything else. It's just relevance to them. So, as I say, we're all going under the under the microscope to see what we say, and all the rest of it is a censor, censor, censor. Even the mainstream, you know, not that many in the mainstream ever say much of any import to the public, but it's really to go after all the rest of us. You see, they're not authorized to be out there opening your mouths. From Hamish from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you. <laughs>